assuming that this is already good, right? Ah, that's all right. Can you guys hear me? Everybody? Okay. Well, we thank the Lord for gathering us this time to considering this matter of the fullness of God. Uh, I would like to start this time by reading some of the verses that I would like to meditate with you this morning, by the grace of the Lord. Uh, so if you would turn to the main passage for this weekend, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's read starting from verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And of course, that last phrase is what we really want to occupy ourselves this time. To be filled up to all the fullness of God. Another verse in Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians, chapter 1, verse... I'm going to start from verse 15. If you notice, the, the first passage we read is essentially a prayer. Paul is praying that we may, all the wonderful things he said, and he concludes with that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. There is a second prayer in Ephesians, which is here in chapter 1. Somehow the two prayers, they're crucial. If you study the book, they contain a key that kind of opens this matter to us. So I think we want to read it, and we are not reading the whole prayer. I'm going to start from the beginning of it for context, and we are going to go all the way to verse 18. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's the prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And I'm stopping right here. He's going to enumerate a couple of things that he's praying. But this is a key. I pray 
that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So if you will turn to the Gospel of John, I want to read a couple of verses there as well. <coughs> Gospel of John. Let's read in chapter 1, two verses. John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh. Of course, the Word here is the person of our Lord Jesus, who is referred in the first verse of the Bible. I mean, the first verse of the Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, I just want to, we're going to go back to this, but I want to underline a couple of words. And the word that I'm underlining here, of course, is full. This matter of fullness has everything to do with the person of the Lord Jesus. He is full of grace and truth. And in verse 16, two verses ahead, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. So, an extra thought here is not just that he is full, which he is, but that fullness is something that that is being communicated to us. Of his fullness we have all received. It's a fullness for you and I to enter in. That is the key. Just hold the thought for a second. And a little ahead, still in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Uh, of course, this is the, the first sign that our Lord Jesus, uh, the first miracle and sign that our Lord is performing. And that is in the wedding in Cana, when he turns water into wine. Uh, we're going to read, perhaps starting from the beginning. On the third day, chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing twenty or thirty gallons each. And Jesus said to them, Fill them the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter said, called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves first the good wine, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs 
Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. And finally, two verses from the Old Testament. If you turn right in the middle of the Bible, Ecclesiastes. I hope you can find that. It's kind of easy. Right in the middle you have Psalms. Just keep going. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. Of course, Solomon wrote this book, right? And I want to read verse 2 of chapter 1. Right at the beginning of the book, which is the key phrase of this book, it says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, that's Solomon. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. That little phrase is going to be repeated over and over throughout the book. Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. And then the next verse is the following book. If you turn a couple of pages ahead, you have the book of Song of Songs, or Song of Solomons. And we want to read the beginning of this book. Just verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Again, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we confess that we gather this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus. And we gather with a thankful heart, Lord, that you have made this time possible. Lord, what a privilege that we can sit together, Lord. Read your word together. And our desire, Lord, is not simply to speak, to talk about your word. But, Lord, our our real prayer is that we may sit at your feet and hear from you, Lord. Lord, we confess that we don't have the words that can help anyone. We cannot touch your word apart from you opening it to us. So we pray, Lord, would you in this morning come to us, Lord, to each one of us, each one in its own level, Lord, and can you yourself open your word to us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be in charge of this time, that he would lead us into a seeing of the Lord Jesus, into opening our hearts, into a receiving of what you have to say. Would you speak to us, Lord, your living words? Lord, we are considering something that is so marvelous, so high, Lord. We are not qualified to touch these things. And yet, Lord, we do thank you because it is the fullness that you made available, that you have communicated for us to receive it. Would you cause us even this morning, Lord, to enter into some degree into something of your fullness, Lord. Do that for your own glory. We pray, Lord, for that liberty that is in the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We were not left to ourselves in this matter. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and we trust him to lead us, to enable, to make possible both speaking and hearing to the glory of God. Would you do that, Lord? We commit the time into your hands and we thank you once again. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I'll start from taking this off, because otherwise, this is not going to go very well. 
And oh, you can hear me. Okay. As I was meditating in this, the first thing that struck my heart in this matter is the following. I want to take you back to the beginning of the Bible. And I just want to meditate together in a couple of things. I'd like to suggest this. When God made us, when God made man, he had nothing less than fullness in his heart, in his intentions towards us. In other words, God, this matter, right, may, may sound very elevated. May, may, some people may be even scared. Wow, the fullness of God, what is that, right? But actually, there is something very marvelous in this scene. God made you and me with exactly that intention, that you and I may be filled with Him. So that's why this matter is so extremely vital, important, and wonderful. Actually, if we don't enter into this matter, our lives will go, you know, without purpose, without meaning. Because if you are made for that, and you don't enter into that, what's the point? And this is the wonderful thing. I just want to remind you a couple of things from Genesis. We don't need to read it, right? I, I, I trust that most of us are very familiar with this story. But in Genesis, we read that, that when God made man, he says that let's make man in our image, according to, in our likeness, and according to our image, or the other way around. And there is something really wonderful there. Because there was a brother that put it in this way. When God is stating that, let's make man in our image and our likeness, God is making man with a certain capacity for himself. That not, no other creature below here has that kind of capacity. Did you realize that? You were made with a capacity for God. Let us make man in our likeness or in our image according to our likeness. That means that when God made us, there was a correspondence there. Something in us could correspond to God and could respond to God. I'll put it in terms of what we're trying to consider in this weekend. God made us as vessels that had the capacity of being filled with God himself. And that was the purpose. And without that purpose being fulfilled, our existence would be pretty meaningless. Now, uh, again, something familiar territory. But it's never, I don't think it's a waste for us to remember these things. Of course, God never intended to have a robot. You realize that, right? If he wanted, he would make the best robot. We're in an era of robots, right? Artificial intelligence, is robots, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. God could make the... And everything is kind of pretty broken. If you, if you see, the, the stuff that man can make has its limits. God could make the best robot ever, right? That never has a bug, never has faults. It could do exactly what God wanted to do. But God didn't want that. He wanted to make a creature with free will. You and me. Free will. And that creature, man, when I say man, is gender neutral, okay? Humanity. He made us with a capacity to choose. From the most kind of, the smallest kind of stuff, what shirt I'm going to dress today? Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe the green one. Okay, that little choice. If you have one more, one more than one in your suitcase, you made the same choice today. 
But from there, he also gave us the capacity to choose the more consequential kind of stuff. In other words, he made you like a vessel that somehow is empty. And his intention that was to fill that vessel with himself. But God would never force anyone to be filled with himself. I hope we realize that. It's your choice and mine to say, yes, Lord, I want to be filled with yourself. I want you to come in. And when that happy choice is made, oh boy, you, now you realize, I was made for that. And you realize that that's, that's what life is about. But God then gives man the choice. And we know that, unfortunately, the choice was the wrong one. I'll put it in terms of our theme. Instead of choosing being filled with, with God, man chose being filled with himself. That is the tragedy of fall. And everything that follows in human history has exactly that pattern. Man chose, is the wrong choice. Instead of, being cho- instead of choosing what God intended, the fullness of God in, in dwelling us, man chooses to be filled with self. And the irony of it all is this. That the result of that, you, you would say, well, okay, there is some fullness there, right? He's being filled with himself. Wonderful. The irony is that the end result is emptiness. Just for a second, let me... I, I find it fascinating when uh, the verse in Ecclesiastes that we read. Vanity of vanities. Now, there are various translations for that, and it's really fascinating if you can grab those translations and see the many, many words that were suggested for translating that vanity. I'll give you some of them, if I can find them in my notes here. Okay, here they are. So, ready? Some of the possible translations that capture some of the meaning of that. What is that vanity of vanity? Futile. Something that doesn't satisfy. Meaningless. Another translation suggested. Meaningless of meaningless. And let me say this, right? I... I don't know if I said it, but it's quite important. Whenever you read Ecclesiastes, don't forget one thing. Ecclesiastes is essentially a book that is describing the states of affairs in the fallen world. That's very, very important. So Ecclesiastes is a a unique book in the Bible. It's as if God is allowing a person, Solomon, to write it from the point of view of a fallen man. And describe what what is life like after Adam made the wrong choice. And all of us are in the same boat. I hope you realize that, right? Sometimes you think, well, I have nothing to do with that. You know, I wasn't there. So I was just born here. No, no, no. You were, somehow you're included in that mess. Unless you can say, no, I'm perfect. I always did the right choices, you know. When I was two years old and my mommy said, don't get the, you know, don't get the candy on the table, right? And she you know, went the other way around. You look, okay, here I go. <laughs> it's, who teaches the little baby to do that? I hope you realize that we are born with that tendency of choosing the wrong things, which the Bible calls sin. Why? Because we choose, instead of being filled with God, to be filled with self. And the result is Ecclesiastes. Instead of fullness, well, I'm filled with myself. No, it's Vanity, futile, meaningless. Another word that was used to to translate vanity is a vapor. 
is, you know, something very transient. It's there for a second, and whenever, whenever you look again, where is it? So there is no permanence there. And there is, the one that strikes me the most of all the translations that I checked is the word emptiness. Emptiness of emptiness. All is empty. Dear young ones, this is the state of affairs on the fallen world because of the wrong choice that man made. Life, you would say, now we are full of self, but the irony, supreme irony, is that instead we became empty, meaningless, futile, supremely unsatisfied. Now, let me give you a contrast here. Brother Lance pointed this out in a wonderful way. These two books, Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs, side by side, right? Right in the heart of the Bible, in the middle of the Bible. What is Song of Songs all about? It's a love story between Solomon and the Shulamite. However, let me tell you this. Yes, it is a love story between them. But more than that, there is an allegory, a type, or a, uh, an illustration of a principle in that book. And the illustration is the love story between God and us, and the individual believer. Now, how does the book begin? Song of Solomon? No. The Song of songs, which is of Solomon. Do you see a contrast here? If life in the fallen state is emptiness of emptiness, vanity of vanities, when we finally choose what God made us for, which is to be filled with Him, what is the result? Not just a song. It's a song of songs. Does that suggest something to you? Do you see some fullness there? If you just have a song, it's okay. It's pretty good, right? But what if it's a song of songs? That is what God made you for. That your life, not in yourself, but in union with Him, that your life may be a song of songs. Something that is the result of the fullness of God dwelling in you. Let me for a second go to the Gospel of John. Because to me, the wonderful thing that I'll never understand, God is incomprehensible, is that after we made the wrong choice, He never gave up. So we choose the wrong fullness. Instead of being filled of Him, we are now filled of ourselves. And in that, of course, there is, you know, pretty much a decl the declaration of independence and saying, goodbye, God. I don't, I don't need you. I can do pretty well with, with myself. That is the, the current state of affairs. And we are born on that boat. But in the Gospel of John, we see the marvel of marvels. That God never gave up of that intention. And when the Lord Jesus comes, essentially, He comes as the one who is full. In Him, there is a fullness. In the Gospel of John, we have several indications of that. The Apostle Paul, he says exactly the same thing. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. 
That is the person of our Lord Jesus. But here's the marvelous thing. He becomes a man. The Word became flesh. For what? It's simply to show us, look, I'm so full. This is what you guys should have been, but are not. He could have, if he wanted, he could have done that. If he wanted, just by standing there, in all that glory and fullness, it would be an implicit condemnation of all of us. Because God made us for that, we made the wrong choice. But is that what he came for? No. Of his fullness, we have all received. Do you see the grace of God? Do you see the love of God? That after we turn our backs to him, his purpose was never frustrated. It was put on hold for time, yes. He never gives up. Praise God. He sends His Son that to make possible that that original intention may be fulfilled in you and in me. And in Christ, that intention of us being full with God, it can make, be made possible. So we have the first sign. Cana of Galilee. And there is there's a couple of things that I want to point out to you. It has everything to do with the contrast between fullness and emptiness. Actually, I I get the impression that the the whole sign presents that picture in kind of multiple angles. Look one angle, for example. You have six water pots that obviously they were not full, right? Remember, the, the sign begins with the water pots, and the Lord saying, fill them with water. So, obviously, those, those water pots, they're, they're empty. Now, you know that six in the Bible is the number that indicates that always represents man, humanity. It's the day of creation that we were made, six. And throughout the Bible, very consistently, you will see that six points to man. And when our Lord Jesus comes... His very first sign has to do with meeting man, humanity, in an empty state. Six empty water pots. That is you and I by nature. That is what we are. Now look from another angle to the same, to the same sign. What was the main problem? What was the disaster that happened in that? Well, the wine ran out, right? When I read that expression, it's like every single time, it's like Ecclesiastes rings in my, my ear. Vanity of vanities. Emptiness of emptiness. And that is the tragedy of, our, of humanity in fallen state. We chose, we hoped for fullness of ourselves, but the result is that the wine runs out. Now, Wine in the Bible is a very comprehensive and wonderful picture. There is something symbolic if you look to wine, the meaning of wine. I want to make it very simple here. Wine, in some cases, can represent a type of life. A certain type of life. Now, in this sign, obviously we have a contrast between one type of wine... And the next one, right? That is the main point at the end of the story when the head, the head waiter calls the bridegroom and says, what are you doing? You did it all wrong. You have no idea. What kind of goofy wedding is this? Of course, you have no idea what is happening. How can you present the best wine at the end? 
Everybody does the opposite, right? At the beginning, you put the, the best one, and then but you see that there is a contrast there. There was a first wine in that wedding, the natural wine, which ran out. Emptiness of emptiness. That is our life in ourselves. It's pretty empty. And it doesn't matter. You know, uh, uh, let me go back to Ecclesiastes. And here is the point of Ecclesiastes. Who did God select to describe the state of affairs of fallen life? Is the, you know, the peasant in the field that has to toil all day long? The guy that has nothing, you know, and says, okay, life is so miserable. I have to wake up 5 a.m., you know, work until 10, 10 p.m. Is that the person that God chose to describe life? Because otherwise you would say, okay, you know, yeah, if you're so poor, you just... You know, get a, get a life, as we say. Get a life. Get, get, make some money, you know. Get a hobby, whatever. Is that the person that described life as vanity of vanities? Emptiness of emptiness? No. Is the most... How can I put it? The most successful king that Israel ever knew from the material point of view? The richest, the smartest, the wisest? Solomon, right? He has everything. Everything that you can imagine, and more, he has. He has experienced every single thing that of the best things that life can offer. And what is his conclusion? It's empty. It's futile. It is meaningless. If we go back to the story in John chapter 2, the wine, it will run out sooner or later. Guaranteed, it will run out. So, you know, all of us, as we grow up, I think we have something that appeals to us. And it's not necessarily something wrong, right? Maybe you're kind of, you think that what is going to make you really happy is if you get, if you get into a certain career, oh boy, yes, that is going to be my fulfillment. Or if you get, you know, married with a certain person, oh yeah, then, yes, forget everything else, we will be... Well, you know, Solomon got a, a thousand of those, right? <laughs> and at the end, a thousand of those wonderful, beautiful women. And, and at the end, he said, nah, it doesn't do it. He had all the, all the achievements that you can name. And some that we cannot even imagine. Because probably he's, he floats in a different level than the regular of, of, you know, most of us. And at the end, everything is empty. Everything is vain. Our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, our Maker. When God is saying in Genesis, let us, not let, I, I will, no, no. Let us. Have you ever thought about that? Why let us make man in our image according to our likeness? Well, there you have the Father, the Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit in counsel. Deciding something. And Jesus, this person who is your maker and mine, he stepped down of his glory. He left behind something that we cannot imagine. He doesn't need us in a way. He's self-sufficient. And yet, he stepped down, he left behind all his glory. And he becomes a man. For what? 
I think the first sign gives you the indication of all the other signs. Why is that the very first sign? Because there is a key there. It's almost as if this sign is kind of revealing what is his desire towards you and towards me. He wants you and I to experience the best wine. And as I said, putting it very, very simply, wine can be understood symbolically as a figure of a type of life. You have two wines going on in that side. The first one that ran out. That is your natural life. You'll come to the end of the rope sooner or later. Sooner or later. It's like Solomon. You'll say, yeah, it is empty indeed. It is vain. What is the other wine? It's the one that Jesus produced and gave so freely. Now, do you know how much wine he has produced? Did you ever have the curiosity of doing that math? So in my translation, it's already helping me. Because it's saying that each one of those six water pots contain between 20 and 30 gallons. Let's go with, I don't know, with 30. How many gallons? And all of them were full of water to the brim. And they took out and they take to the head, wait, the, the, the head waiter. He says, wow, what is this? How much wine has the Lord Jesus produced? Do you see what this means? There is a fullness in him that is for you and for me to enter in. To be filled with all fullness of God. He made you for that. And make no mistake, nothing else will ever really satisfy you. If you ever prove that, life, that wine, that life that Jesus offered, oh, you will say song of songs. Nothing compares with this. Nothing. Well, I want to say a couple of more things in connection with this. One of the problems, I feel, for us to enter into this matter of the fullness of God is that there is an enemy of God that was there right there in the beginning and is still around here today. And that enemy of God, he knows very well what is God's purpose and intention for man. And he'll do anything he can to frustrate that. He did it in the garden, right? And make no mistake, he's still very, very active, doing exactly the same thing today in each one of us. Now, did you ever consider the strategy of the enemy when you read Genesis chapter 3, that very sad story of how man fell? It seems that there is a very clear strategy there. So, here is Eve looking at the tree, you know, it's the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. Is essential. I appreciate what there is a brother, brother, I think it's brother Ernie, Heil, and he says, you know, when I read Genesis 3, I see like written all over it, this is a test. And I think he got it. Yeah, it's exactly that. That's what is the meaning of that tree? The tree that the Lord says, well, you should not. Well, there are several other things. But at, at the, the core of it, God is testing man. Is remember the free will? 
the robot thing, or the not being a robot, is being tested right there. Do you want to follow me? Is as if God is saying that, or you want to follow yourself? You want to be filled with me or with yourself? We know the choice. Unfortunately, it was the wrong one. But what is the enemy's strategy in this matter? How is he going to try to derail that purpose and to deceive man and woman? I think it's, it's very clear in a way that at the end of the day, when you look at that story, the, the whole the conversation between Satan and Eve, right? Uh, here's Eve looking at the, at the tree, and Satan comes and says, in the serpent, right? The serpent comes and says, so is that what God said? That should not, you should not eat of any of the trees of the garden? Do you realize something both subtle and extremely devious in that question? Very wicked. Do you see that there is an implication? It's a question that comes with the force of a suggestion. It's almost as if Satan is saying, well, uh, I think God wants to make you miserable. Is that what God said, that you should not eat of any? Is that what God said? No, it's, it's maybe, I don't know, maybe there are 3,000 wonderful trees that are, you know, with some edible good stuff there. And out of all those, there is one that God is saying you should not eat of that. But somehow Satan manages to bring a question that has a sort of implication there. Is that what God said? That you should not eat of any of the trees of the garden? The implication, the kind of almost subliminal message there is this. I think God wants to make you miserable. I think if you choose for God, it's like He's going to deprive you of a lot of things. And somehow, that strategy seems to have worked its way in Eve's heart. There is a seed of doubt there is a seed of, yeah, yeah that's true, yeah. I'm being deprived. You know, I, I, cannot be my, I cannot achieve my fullness, the fullness of myself, whatever that means. And there they go. Brothers and sisters, this doesn't, it's not a matter that only applies before you believe in the Lord. Actually, when we move on with the Lord, when we start walking with Him, Continually, there will be that question coming to our hearts. Continually, perhaps, uh, and I'm sure that many of you can testify of that, you have that question, wait a second, yes, God made me for His fullness. That, that sounds wonderful. Uh, that sounds a little scary. So if I commit myself and I open myself completely to God, I think I'm going to miss a lot of what is out there. Now, I want you to make no mistake. The enemy is the one that conceived that strategy. He's a master in that. Of course, he, the first thing he would do is to conceal his identity in this matter. He'll never come to you and say, Hello, it's me, Satan. Let's have a chat. <laughs> no. It's more like, you know, <laughs> it's like perhaps there is something that leads you to believe that, yeah, this is very large. It's yourself, you know, using your reason and stuff. Yeah, yeah you know, it's, yeah, it sounds great. The, the fullness of God. But, however, yet, <laughs> I'm going to be missing out a lot out there. And through that strategy, somehow the enemy, he undermined God's character in Eve's eyes. 
And Eve makes the wrong choice. And I feel, brothers, and I'm saying, you know, if it's not with you, definitely it's with myself. Oftentimes, and, and let me just say to you, it's, it's not just in the beginning of my walk with the Lord. I think that at any stage of our walk with the Lord, there will be that question, that seed of doubt that the enemy very, very masterfully wants to plant there. And lead you to believe, if I choose for the fullness of God, if I give myself completely to God, I'll be missing something. I'll be really miserable. Yeah. I'll have that, but you know, who knows how much I'm going to be missing. It's interesting. Because one of the tools that the enemy will use in this matter of deceiving and making you think, uh, is it worth it? Because I'm going to miss all this stuff. Undoubtedly, what he will use probably the most is the world around us. So when you go to Genesis, there is this very interesting, in Genesis 3, that very interesting description that when Eve is looking at the tree, the tree was kind of pleasant to look at, and it was desirable to eat, and you know, it would give knowledge. I have three elements there. When you go to the first epistle of the Apostle John, he describes the world of which Satan is the mastermind the spirit behind the system that we live in. None of us is out of this world. We are physically here. And boy, how much influence that has upon us. But anyways, in the first epistle of John, the apostle tells us that the world consists of exactly those three things that you read that Eve is being kind of tempted about. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is the word. Exactly the same things. So I just, I don't want to get too technical on this. But I think the principle should be very clear. We live in a world that the enemy will use all the time. Present a bunch of things to you. Not necessarily sinful. And that's, what, that's where it really becomes tricky. It's sometimes stuff that is completely legitimate. That you maybe even need to interact with. Is your, your school, your work, whatever it is. But sometimes the enemy will try to use these things to put it in your hearts in a position where they should not be in such a way that you start asking, is that whole matter of the fullness of God really worthy? I think I'm going to be missing a lot of things if I commit to that. There is a PR campaign that the enemy is incessantly waging in our hearts. And we need to be very aware of these things. Because if, it's, if God made us for that, we should not ignore that there will be a hindrance. Something will be there trying to say, eh, maybe not, maybe you'll miss a lot. Well, I hope that by, by the grace of the Lord, we are all able to do the same, the, take the right choice. Let me say one thing. I'm going to pivot a little bit here. It's, oh, it's like a, a follow-up. Let's go back to, to Ephesians now. You see that Paul is describing in Ephesians chapter 3 that his prayer is that we must be filled. We should be filled with all the fullness of God. And he has another prayer in chapter 1. Now, to me in chapter 1, there is an all-important key in this matter. Which is, he, he prays that our eyes may be open. 
And let me suggest something to you, very simply. Unless our eyes are open, first to the fact that that fullness is what God wants for you. Second, it's completely available. It's not something up in the air that, uh, can I, it's not something you have to attain to. It's something indeed that is given to you. Of His fullness, we have all received. But alas, here is the point. The prayer of Paul is that our eyes may be opened. (coughs) And in this matter of being filled with the fullness of God, I think that the starting point is that our eyes have to be opened to know, yes, God has this for me. He made me for this. He made it. I, I blew it. I'm a fallen creature. Yes. But He made it completely available again in the person of Christ. And it's for me today. Listen, if our eyes are not open to see that, I don't think anything else happens. Is the all-important starting point. I really appreciate it. I read it kind of recently. A <coughs> you just give me a second here. A couple of months ago, I read a, 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 an illustration. I was really helped very, very simple. So, the brother was saying this. You know, uh, <laughs> actually, it's curious. It had to do exactly with this. I'm all thirsty. He was speaking. I said, let's say I'm, I'm speaking here. And I'm really thirsty. I'm suffering like crazy. Uh, you know, having a hard time speaking. And all along there was a jar of water, you know, right at, at my reach. <laughs> I didn't think about it, but it's exactly what I just experienced. If I don't see that there is a, a jar of water, or a cup of water, right here. If I cannot see it, I'll go on my whole message, you know, speaking and suffering and say, oh, wow, I wish I had some water. You see this matter of vision? It's, a, it's such a that simple illustration, like, it's almost silly, but I think it goes to the core of it. Unless we see that God has made completely available this matter of the fullness. And it's for you. Listen, not for just super... Super Christians, whatever that means, right? You, you know, give a, give a value of that. We all know some giants in Christian in, in church history, and we can name. Wow, watch my knee! What a wonderful brother he was—a wonderful brother, or Martin Luther, or John Wesley. So many one, and we sometimes we think, yeah, they were full to the brim. Oh yeah, uh, but who am I? <laughs> no, 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 no. John chapter one. I don't read for you know. For of His fullness, some of us have received, and grace upon grace. (laughs) What do you read? For of His fullness, we have all. Can you see yourself in that all? It's for you. But now, going back to vision, unless you see that, that yes, it is there, it is for me, fully available, not because of anything you have to do, but everything has to do with what Jesus did on the cross. His finished work, everything is now completely available. I feel this whole matter begins somehow in this... And I'm talking about to, to you that already believe in the Lord and are completely clear of your walk with Him. If you're going to enter into the fullness of that, it all begins with seeing. That that's what is in God's heart for me. And yes, it is available. Even today. Vision.
Well, I want to mention a couple of practical matters that are related with this question of fullness, of entering into the fullness of God. <coughs> Actually, I think, you know, I would put vision in one of those very practical, it may sound as something esoteric and say, what, what is that vision thing? But very, very simply, we have come to know deep in our hearts, deep in our spirits, we have to, to know, yes, God has that for me. And that has to be settled once and for all in your heart. And when the PR of the enemy comes and says, ah, well, yeah, but if you choose that, you'll be maybe miserable. You know, it's part of the choice we have to do today to whom we are going to listen to. God had made it completely possible and available. But, and that choice has to do with faith, right? And here comes the enemy with his PR and says, no, 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 you'll be miserable if you choose that. That is the moment for all of us to make the right decision and say, Lord, no. I stick with what you said. That is faith at the end of the day. You take what the Lord said and you say, yes. You take everything else and say, eh, throw it away. What he says, that's what matters. Heavens and earth, they will pass away. Your word, never, is forever there. That is where our faith should be. Well, but going back to practical issues. If vision is the first of sorts, let me suggest something that is quite a, it should be obvious to all of us. And I'm going to just present this from the physical point of view. You can never fill something with, fill an object, a container, Unless that container is empty. Fill it with sand. You here you have a jar, right? Pour sand as much as you want. Do you think you're going to fill it with crystal clear water? It's impossible. It's a physical impossibility, right? Uh, I forget what is the... You know, two, two objects cannot occupy the same space and time. That kind of stuff, right? But you know that spiritually the principle is exactly the same. You can never be filled with the fullness of God until you empty yourself of yourself. And you know, we are born with that tendency of being filled with ourselves. It's me, me, me. What, what should I do? You know, what's my plan? What is this? What is the other? Until we make that choice, no, Lord. Perhaps John the Baptist put it in a very wonderful way in the Gospel of John when he says, he must increase, I must decrease. That is the principle, the spiritual principle. I have to be emptied that he may... And now listen, that's where the enemy will come there with PR. Ah, he'll make you miserable. Oh, empty yourself. Oh, poor of you. Oh, what, what kind of existence are you going to have? Empty of yourself, deprived of all those things. Don't forget, who are you being filled with instead? Because the Lord is not asking you for an emptiness. <laughs> That's not His purpose, for you to be empty. No, no, no. But yes, sometimes we have to become empty that He may fill in. And that is the point that often in the PR of the enemy, it's completely lost of sight. If I have to become empty, but my Maker, my Lord, my Redeemer, is going to fill me, 
Do you think that I'm going to regret it for a second when I find myself filled with Him? If anything, you're going to say, boy, how come I didn't come into this much, much sooner? <laughs> That's what is going to happen. Song of Songs. Never forget, is a song of songs that the Lord is looking for. But yes, it implies that we are going to have to be empty of ourselves and to make the choice to give way for Him to fill us with His fullness. So I'll leave that as a first kind of practical thing, or, or vision the first, this the second, whatever. Uh, yes, emptiness is a prerequisite, is a condition for us to be full. Now, very, very practically, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, It's wonderful because it seems that this matter of fullness is really in the heart of Paul throughout the whole epistle. And it will come out here and there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine. For that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It is interesting because kind of almost incidentally, here is our kind of contrast. If you look at this kind of in a... Yes, Paul is... Look at, first of all, that's how you interpret the Bible. Go for it kind of literally. Yeah, there is value in that. You know, I I guess most of you are kind of below that age. But there is dissipation in drinking too much wine. It's as simple as that. But... I think when you look at this verse, you can see a contrast, again, between two types of life. There is a natural kind of thing, a wine, and there is being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is our calling. Actually, being filled with the Holy Spirit is nothing else but being filled with the fullness of God. Because He, the Holy Spirit, is nothing, nothing less than the third person. And that doesn't imply hierarchy. He is God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is our calling. That is a wonderful thing. Now, you have a couple of things when you continue these verses. Uh, that was 18. And then you see verse, uh, verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs it's funny, right? We just read Song of Songs. Yeah. So, I don't know what to make of this, right? Uh, I, first of all, right, I don't want to suggest that this is a, a formula. Because sometimes you can read this, the grammar may imply that. Be filled with the Spirit, and you may understand, by speaking with one another in Psalms. Oh, really? So, if I meet my sister and say, you know, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, you know. <laughs> and you're speaking like that, I'm going to be filled. You can try to do that as a formula. I tend to think that it's probably the other way around. That this is speaking about the result of your life when you choose, when you allow the Lord to fill you, when you allow the Holy Spirit to fill your life, that somehow you're going to find yourself gravitating naturally to the things of the Lord. And the song is going to be there. That joy. That thing that the world can never give you. It is going to be there. Uh, Continuing. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. You know how impossible this is in natural life? Because Paul is saying, it's not give thanks to the Lord, you know, when things are the, the wind is blowing your way and you're sailing like, you know, smoothly. No. He's saying, always. That implies in bad days. Do you have bad days? Of course. <laughs> what a question. <laughs> but you know, in that life, there is something not in you, but in that life that fills you, that will allow you to, even in the worst circumstances, there is something deeper in you that you'll say, yes, Lord, I'm going through this, but I thank you. I trust you. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Actually, I want to read another verse, which is the verse before verse 18. If you read verse 17, this is the key to this matter of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he goes ahead, And do not get drunk with wine, in which there is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You see that there is a connection between these two things. In verse 17, you read of not being foolish, but try to, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So let me say, put it this way. In this matter of being filled with God, be filled with the Holy Spirit, is a matter that is completely related on who is master upon your life. Whose will are you living for? Do you see that that's the commandment in the verse right before? Do not be foolish. That's what Paul says. But in some translations, which I like a little better than this one, is try to understand. The implication is have a desire to be led. Have a desire to understand His will, which implies that, you know, Lord, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for Your will. And then almost like as a continuation of that, you have, do not, be, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is related, completely related. If I'm doing my will, it's still a very clear indication that I'm filled with myself. That I'm still in that state of vanity of vanities, emptiness of emptiness. But once I, there is this, I've made exchange of masters now, as the hymn says. Before I was my master, before I did my own stuff, Today I have a different master. Oh, you're surely... The, there is the emptiness happening. You're being emptied of something. And surely the Holy Spirit can come and fill in. So a very practical matter in this matter, in, in this uh, uh, subject of being filled with the fullness of God. Now, another one on the practical side. If you turn to Colossians chapter 3... <coughs> So, if you ever read both epistles, Ephesians and Colossians, probably you cannot miss that there is a very uh, a correspondence there. So, there is several uh, kind of explanations for that. Most likely, both epistles were written around the same time. They're called the prison epistles. And it seems almost as if the same, the same subjects, the same things were occupying the heart of the apostle. And he expressed them. They're not a copy of each other. They have wonderful differences. 
But there is an amazing similarity in structure. Whole passages correspond to one another. So in Ephesians chapter 5, we read, Be filled with the Spirit. I want to give you the counterpart to that, as we see in the epistle to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Do you see something related to fullness here? Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. And now the correspondence. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns. Oops, we just read this, right? Yeah. There is a parallel here. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Brothers and sisters, in this matter of being filled with the fullness of God, there is a practical key that is absolutely indispensable. Make no mistake. The Word of Christ has to dwell richly in us. Of course, it almost goes like unsaid, right? Uh, There is this saying that is very popular these days, which is, you are what you eat. Well, guess what? Spiritually, yes, that has a lot to do with that. I'll I'll put this in in a more careful way. When you let the Word of Christ dwell richly in your heart, and very simply, this means... You're going to read your Bible every day. It may be, you may start with 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, half an hour, whatever it is. But unless we learn how to seek the Lord in His Word, how to read it on a daily and regular basis, there is something that will hinder in a practical way that fullness of God from feeling us. So, dear saints, this is a wonderful, wonderful little key Very, very important. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Well, these are the things that were in my heart to share. And I'm not going to stand this anymore. I just want to close with that, just reinforcing one thought. This is what God made you for. Nothing less will really satisfy you. And more importantly, when all things, when that wonderful purpose was completely lost, out of reach because of our choice, we have no one else to blame. Don't blame Adam and Eve. (laughs) Think anyone that is honest will say, yeah, you know, I'm pretty screwy. (laughs) The tendency is there. When everything was lost, Jesus came to make that completely possible, available. And the fullness was offered. It's for you and I to receive. For us, of His fullness, we have all received. And grace upon grace. It's for you and for I to enter into it and to live in that reality. Let's conclude with a word of prayer. Lord, indeed, what a what a thought, Lord, that As we just read in the theme verse, Lord, it surpasses understanding. The love of Christ, Lord. Lord, we cannot understand why you would come down to a race that has turned its back to you, said no to you and yes to ourselves, and you have died on that cross, Lord, 
and made all that phone is available to us. Lord, we do not understand, and yet we want to say yes, Lord. We want to respond yes. We want to open our hearts completely unto you, that you may fill and dwell in the vessels that you made for your glory. Would you help each one of us? Would you cause us to see? Would you cause us, Lord, if there is any kind of controversy, of debate in our hearts, is this worth it? But am I going to lose this or the other? If there is the PR of the enemy going on in our minds or in our hearts, we pray, Lord, open our eyes that we may see how precious is that fullness in Yourself, Lord, and that we may respond completely to You. We thank You so much for Your love, Lord. We thank You for Your Word. You're faithful. You're good. We worship You. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.